We are in John chapter 2, starting in verse 1. On the third day, there was a wedding at Cana in Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus also was invited to the wedding with his disciples. When the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, They have no wine. And Jesus said to her, Woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Do whatever he tells you. Now there were six stone water jars there for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding twenty or thirty gallons. Jesus said to the servants, Fill the jars with water. And they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, Now draw some out and take it to the master of the feast. So they took it. When the master of the feast tasted the water, now turned to wine, and did not know where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew, the master of the feast called the bridegroom and said to him, Everyone serves the good wine first, and when people have drunk freely, they then pour the poor wine. But you have kept the good wine until now. This, the first of his signs, Jesus did at Cana in Galilee, and manifested his glory, and his disciples believed in him. As I said already this morning, this is the first of the miracles that Jesus would perform here at Cana of Galilee, and he would perform many others as signs, signs that were pointing to something. Before we go there and look at this text, let me, <clears throat> let me make sure that we all flow out of the same foundation here. You can go to the website and you can get the messages of this series as we walk through the gospel accounts and look at the magnificence of Christ in the gospels. We're, we're making a shift now. We've spent a number of weeks laying a foundation, talking about the incarnation of Christ, <clears throat> and trying to, to build a case from Scripture that Jesus was fully man. It took a man to come and to die. And so don't minimize that. He was fully God, but he became fully man and entered in. And the thing that we've talked much about is that in being fully man, he had to feel the full brunt of the temptations. And so Jesus, we laid a foundation to say, resisted sin in his manhood. And some way he bracketed or was able to, to keep separate his Godhead and Godhood so that he could live fully as a man because he must live fully as a man without sin to be the second Adam, to truly be the second Adam who succeeded where the first Adam failed in living perfectly and sinlessly so that he could provide us a righteousness. Now, I am convinced from Scripture that Jesus did not use his divinity to any advantage in resisting sin. We now turn to another dimension of him being fully man. And what we want to say here now is, I'm not sure in regards to miracles of how Jesus did all of that in being fully man. I know from Scripture that he resisted fully as a man. Now he comes to the issue of miracles. There are some who would want to say that Jesus <clears throat> resisted, <clears throat> or excuse me, performed all of his miracles the same way that he resisted sin, by the power of the Holy Spirit. In other words, as we talked about resisting sin, we said Jesus did everything he did 
in relation to the Trinity. He, he got his marching orders from the Father. He only did what he saw the Father doing. He only did what the Father commanded him to do. And he did it in the power of the Holy Spirit in regards to sin, resisting sin. But now we have to ask the question, is that the way that he also displayed miracles? Was it in the power of the Holy Spirit? I would say this, that is certainly possible. It is certainly possible that as being fully man, that Jesus performed his miracles and his signs that it talks about here by the power of the Holy Spirit. There's some inferences of that where it says he left the temptation account in the power of the Spirit and went out to do his public ministry. What does it mean, power of the Spirit? Does it mean that he performed his miracles as a man by the power of the Holy Spirit? I don't know the answer to that yet and may never know fully the answer to that in my own mind. Um, But it is possible. It is a possibility that he did. I, I would I would put that in John chapter 16. If you turn there to John chapter 16 for a moment, look look there. This is a passage that I think is incredibly important for you to have referenced in your Bible. Because this passage here in John 16 talks about um, the the role of the Holy Spirit in the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, one God, three persons. And and here it talks about the role of the Holy Spirit that he plays within the Trinity. We've, we've referenced this often, but you need to have it marked. Look at verse 12. <clears throat> Jesus is speaking and he says, I, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority. But whatever he hears, he will speak and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. The, the reason I reference that passage in regards to whether or not Jesus could have performed, as he was fully man, those miracles in the power of the Spirit, just like he resisted sin, is this passage. Because the role of the Holy Spirit is to what? The role that the Holy Spirit plays is to glorify the Son. To lift up the sun, to magnify the sun, to show the glory of the sun. Now, if you go back to this account in John, in the, in the reference, we read it this morning already, but it says in verse 11, this is the first of his signs Jesus did at Cana in Galilee and manifested his glory. Well, if he would have done it in the power of the Holy Spirit, the role of the Holy Spirit is to manifest the glory of the Son. And so I, I think you could read that into the passage. But it's not decisive for me. I still am not, uh, I'm not ready to go out on a limb and say that fully, except that it's a possibility. It's something to think about. I hope you're thinking about these things. I hope you're pushing it as far as you can in your mind without violating or contradicting Scripture. I think we need to think well and think sharply and think those kinds of thoughts. We always need to be careful not to go beyond what Scripture says or to violate what Scripture says. That's wrong. So I say that to you this morning as we now move into his ministry, into to his actual ministry as, as he went out from the temptation. 
The, the answer I would say to you, I don't know. One thing I do know is that Jesus grew in his understanding. In other words, remember when we talked about earlier that he, he didn't lie in a manger and look up as a baby and contemplate the heavens that he'd created as a baby? I don't think he did. I don't think Jesus laid in that manger contemplating the heavens that he'd created. He was a baby. He grew in his understanding. And we talked about him connecting dots and connecting things that his mother had said, connecting them with scriptures that he knew, and beginning as he went along to realize who he was more and more. Now, certainly here we have to, I think, again, put it in this context that even if he did manifest his glory by his divinity, per se, causing that water to turn to wine. In other words, what I mean is an exercise of his own Godhead and declaring that the water become wine without the aid of the Holy Spirit doing that, the third person of the, of the Trinity doing Even if he did that, it was a sense in which he, he grew in his understanding of his ability to do that. There had to be a sense and he grew in wisdom and stature and favor with God and man. So again, see Jesus as fully man. Fully God, but fully man. I still want to reserve the right to, to say that Jesus may at times have had his divinity break through and be seen directly in the passages that we will come to. We'll, we'll walk on. We'll look at more. There may be some other dimensions that we will see and find and be able to say more. But for now, we leave it there. We leave it with some mystery there. But today what I want us to do is to, to look specifically at what happened. Not so much how it happened and how Jesus did it, but why it happened. The scripture says that this miracle and all the miracles that Jesus did were signs. They were signs pointing us to see the glory of Christ. To see his glory. Not fully yet. That was going to be fully displayed at the cross. But beginning to get pictures of his glory, the disciples beginning to see um, his glory here as, it, as we go along and as he shows his glory. Um, one of the things in this context that I think it's important to understand now as we look at the text itself, as we look at what happened here, we, we find his mother coming to Jesus. You see the story, don't you? Jesus' mother coming to him and there's a problem. They have run out of wine. And that was no small problem. In that culture, for you to run out of wine at a wedding was incredibly big. And it would have been a, a real blight upon the family name for that family to have not had adequate resources for that wedding. And so she comes to Jesus. We don't know exactly how they were connected to the ones being married, but very possibly could have been some kind of a relative. But she comes to Jesus and she declares the problem to him that they've run out of wine. And Jesus realizes what she's asking. She's asking him to help. Now, at this point in time, probably Joseph had passed away, his father, because we don't hear anything more about his father past the age of 12, that account in the temple. So most probably what had happened is Jesus' father had passed away. Joseph, his, his uh, earthly father, had passed away. 
And he probably was the one who was the breadwinner at this point. He was the one who was taking care of his mother. He was the one who solved the problems. And so it was natural when this problem arose that, that his mother would come to him. But certainly in coming, his mother knew more about Jesus than, than just that he was her son. And Jesus saw in her asking something that he had to respond to. And in this text, it appears that he responds to it. First, the way he responds seems to be a bit harsh and a bit abrupt when he says, woman. But that really is not as harsh as the text indicates. It wasn't as, as soft and sentimental as we, we might think, but it wasn't as harsh either. As he responded to her, woman, what do you have to do with me? My hour is not yet come. What was Jesus saying? Why, why such a response to his mother who came with this problem? There's lots of things that are talked about in this, but I think the thing that we need to see is that Jesus always kept the bigger picture in mind. He always saw the bigger picture of things. He always kept the mission in mind. He knew that he was headed for something that that God had raised him up for, God the Father, and he was not going to be diverted from that. It didn't matter even if it was his mother, even if the closest human on the human level to him came to him. He, he still was not going to lose his bearings. And, and so that's really the response here. Woman, I can't do anything other than do what is the beckoning of my father. Jesus always did what he saw the father doing. He always responded in response to what the father dictated for him to do. And so what he's saying here is, I have to listen to my father. I have to do what he wants me to do. And it's not about what you want me to do. That's first of all what Jesus is saying here. That's what he means. He says, my, my hour has not yet come. He kept the mission in mind. He would not be diverted to lesser things. He always did what he saw the Father doing. But, and he kept in step with the Father. But there also was a sense when Jesus, when Jesus viewed things, he had the bigger picture. He, he saw the big picture of what was happening. That comes, I think, as he grew in wisdom and understanding and favor with God and man. That whole idea of him progressing to see it, to connecting the dots of scripture, connecting the stories his mother had told him. But he, he saw the big picture. And, and we, we miss that sometimes, don't we? Sometimes we get caught in the smallness of things and we miss the big picture. Jesus never missed the big picture. And some of the things that had to be in his mind, for instance, one would have been in the book of Amos. I want you to turn there if you can find that Old Testament book. Listen to what Jesus must have known when the mother came to him now at a wedding asking him to turn or to provide some more wine um, Basically, these are the kinds of things that Jesus would have gone to in his mind, the kinds of texts that he would have gone to, the kinds of understanding that he knew of. One of the understandings that he had was that one of the pictures of the coming of the Messianic age was the flowing of wine, that that picture of a free flow of wine. He was the free flowing wine to come. Listen to what it says in Amos 
It says, Behold, in chapter, the last chapter, chapter 9, the very end, beginning at verse 13, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when the plowman shall overtake the reaper and the treader of the great, uh, and the treader of graves, him who sows the seed. The mountains shall drip sweet wine and all the hills shall flow with it. I will restore the fortunes of my people Israel and they shall rebuild the ruined cities and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and drink their wine. They shall make gardens and eat their fruit. I will plant them on their land and they will never again be uprooted out of the land that I have given them. It's a, it's a picture of the end of, of the age and the idea of free-flowing wine. The picture that Jesus must have had in his mind, the bigger picture, when she comes to him and says, we need you to, we need you now, Jesus, to help us get some wine. And I think the inference was to produce some wine here. And Jesus had the bigger picture of knowing, well, the bigger picture of this is that, that the Messiah will produce. And so you see, when he, when he performs this miracle, it is, it is a sign. It's a sign of the coming fulfillment. You see how Jesus didn't whimsically just perform miracles? There's always a sign in it. And here we get an inference of the sign of that free flowing of wine at the end of the age that the Messiah is going to bring in. Here we get a foretaste of it as Jesus turns the water into wine. Another illustration that probably came to Jesus' mind was the idea that he was the bridegroom. Jesus was the bridegroom. It was a wedding. The big picture, he knew that he was the ultimate fulfillment of what marriage is a picture of. In other words, the marriage supper of the Lamb is what marriage on earth is a picture of. The reason we have marriage on earth is so we can get a picture of what is to come. Marriage in itself is not an end all, but it is a symbolic picture of another marriage to come. And you see how Jesus always kept that bigger picture. He, he had an understanding that he grew in to see the big picture of all the small things of life. So even here, Mary's agenda was to fix the problem here at the wedding. Jesus is saying, my time has not yet come. The full fulfillment of all of this lies in the future. And I only do what the Father grants me to do, what He wants me to do. But here then Jesus goes ahead. So why does He say that? Why does He say, my hour has not yet come? And then all of a sudden He turns around and does the miracle. I think it's because He's pointing to the bigger picture. He's pointing to the picture of which this is symbolic. What He does here is a symbol of the bigger picture. My time will fully come there. That's what he's saying. I see that bigger picture, that bigger painting of things that you don't see. And here, obviously, because the Father granted it, he only did what the Father wanted him to do. He performed a miracle, which was a sign. That's why I think it says this is a sign that Jesus did of his glory, which pointed them to his greater glory, which was to come. Now, just the specifics of this. Jesus saw the big picture when Mary came, his, his response to her explained that, why it was the way it was. But what does he actually show us in this miracle? What, what other things beyond the big picture of things, the ultimate fulfillment? I think three things I want to leave with you and then we're going to come to this table this morning. 
First of all, I think one of the reasons that this passage is here is because when Jesus fulfilled it, he said, go get six pots. Those were purification pots. They were part of the old Jewish uh, faith, the, the Jewish tradition, the Jewish purification tradition. He, he, he reaches back into the past to show them something new is coming. He takes those old pots that were for purification and he fills them with wine. It says that up to 180 gallons of wine. It was a huge amount of wine. But he, he first of all is saying to us, I think the new has come. One of the declarations of this miracle is something new has arrived. And the old way, the old way of purification, the old cold mechanical Jewish system is passing away. I'm bringing something totally new. And that's exactly what it shows us. That's why he chose those purification pots to be the place that the new wine would reside. The second thing about that is it was the best wine. You get that from the text. Here, here the, the, the person who comes says, why in the world? Usually, usually this isn't the case. You, you, you use the good wine first and then later the lesser wine because they're already have had their fill and you can get by with it. But in this case, the, the best was saved to last. In other words, the inference is it's the best wine. The best wine. I'm the best. The inference is this coming. This is the best. This is the fulfillment. Jesus is the wine that we want to fill our lives with. There's lots of things we go to to fill our lives. Lots of things all of us turn to, which the Bible calls idols. Anything you turn to to get what you should get in Christ becomes an idol. And we turn to those things. Jesus says, turn to me. Turn to the best. The inference is the best wine. And then thirdly, it's an abundant wine. The wine here, it says, was 120 to 180 gallons of wine. An overwhelming amount of wine was produced by Jesus. And again, the inference of the abundance of Christ, the abundance of His grace, the abundance of what He wants to do in this new thing that He's doing. I hope this morning that you see all of that in Him that you really do see the newness of this new covenant, of what this table represents, the newness of what has come. The old ritual has passed away. The newness of Christ Himself coming. And secondly, that He's the best. He's the best. The old is gone. The new has come. What I once counted gain, I count but loss for the sake of gaining Christ, as Paul put it. And He... He's abundant. He's adequate. He can supply all the grace we need for all the needs of our lives that we might glorify Him. I hope this morning that as you come to this table that you see and feel and sense as you remember what it represents, joy. I'm convinced that what this table should produce in your life no matter what circumstance you bring to it this morning, is joy. If we truly are seeing what this table represents, even in the darkest of valleys, there is joy. There's joy in our hearts. 
not a flippant, trite joy, but a deep, settled joy. We walk through the book of Philippians where Paul said, I'm to stay around, I'm convinced, for your progress in the joy of the faith. Let me say to you this morning as we come to this table, if, if this life of faith for you has become heavy and has become a bit of a drudgery and become mechanical to you, may God show you that's not the way. That's not the way of Christ. That's the way of the old that passed away, not the way of the new. And my prayer this morning, even as you come to this table, as you remember is that it will produce joy. We talk a lot. We talked again in my Sunday school class this morning about preaching the gospel to yourself every day. Is that not what Jesus said when he said, do this in remembrance of me? Why? Isn't that the simplistic part of the gospel? Isn't that the stuff that we leave behind after we, after we come to faith and we go on to, to more mature things? Jesus said, no. He said, remember me. Remember me as this wine, as this new wine, this best wine, this overflowing wine. And may it produce joy in your life. If you're struggling with joy, if you're struggling with drudgery, if you're struggling with a mechanical kind of existence in your Christian life, I can say to you unequivocally, it's because you're not remembering what this table represents often enough. You're not daily feeding on Christ. You're not daily feeding on this gospel. Now, does that mean we don't have times where emotionally we may flatline? No, I don't, I'm not saying that. But the remedy for it is coming back to this table. The remedy is remembering Christ, remembering the abundance of the one it represents this morning. So I pray God will help us. And I pray even as you come this morning, your hearts will be strengthened and joy will rise up in your soul. Let's pray. Father, I just pray that you'll help us this morning. If our relationship with you has become dry and mechanical and a bit heavy and somewhat of a drudgery, I pray, Father, you'll help us to remember Help us to remember what this table represents to us. Help us to feed on it and be strengthened by it and have it produce a new joy in our hearts. Lord, you are the new wine. You are the best wine. And you are the wine of abundance. And I pray that would be so in our lives and in our hearts today. In Jesus' name. Amen. I'd like for those that are going to help us to distribute the elements to come. And if you're new with us, uh, we come to this table once a month, typically. And these elements will come to you in the pews. What we'll do is we'll distribute first the bread and then the juice this morning. And we ask as we distribute them that you would hold them and you would consider them and consider all that they represent and we'll partake together. Matthew is going to lead us. And you're welcome to sing with him this morning as these elements are dispersed this morning. This represents the body of Christ.
Behold the Lamb Silent before His accusers As thorns are pressed Into His brow They lift him up. Oh, see the spikes that hold him. Redeeming blood flows down. Body of Christ. I think one of the pictures that this gives to us that Jesus instituted for us was the idea of feeding on Him. Joy flows from feeding on Him. From preaching His Gospel to ourselves every day and remembering what He's done every day in our lives. I pray that even as you eat, you are feeding on Christ. This morning. Since the blood of Christ. Take and hold it and we'll partake together. Behold the Lamb Carrying all the transgressions He freely takes our place. Endures the lash, the mocking and the laughter of those He dies. To save, but look again, the cross stands empty now, and he is risen. Behold the Lamb, see him crowned with glory. Behold the Lamb, cast your crowns before Him. Behold the Lamb, see Him crowned with glory. Behold the Lamb. 
Cast your crowns before Him, crying holy, holy is the Lamb. But look again, the cross stands empty now, and He is risen. Behold the Lamb, see Him crowned with glory, behold the Lamb, cast your crowns before Him, behold the crowns before Him, crying holy, and holy is, crying holy, holy is, crying holy, holy is the Lamb. Scripture tells us, as I've already said, that we we feed on Christ, we'll never be hungry. You come so we'll never be hungry, is how Jesus says it. He also says we'll never be thirsty. What does that mean? I think it means we never have to be. We never have to be spiritually hungry. We never have to be spiritually thirsty again. Because we know where to go to drink and to eat. We, we know that we can feed on Him. And we can drink of Him. And these again are symbols of that. I encourage you to feed on Christ. I encourage you now to drink. Drink. And be satisfied. Be satisfied in abundance. He is the wine the best. And He gives it in abundance. As we go back to Him. Drink, will you? Stand and sing together. Uh uh-huh. 
this morning that that these hearts today have been strengthened by grace and that new joy has risen in their soul father joy in Christ joy in all that he has done in coming and providing all that we need for our sin to be dealt with Lord, I pray we go strengthened now in that grace. In Jesus' name, amen.